Working hard for something we don't care about is called stress. Working hard for something we love is called passion. Are you stressed or passionate? Hello and welcome to my podcast, Unapologetically KK. My guest today is Linda Jarham, who is the founder and managing director of Flow to Thrive. Hello, Linda, and welcome to Unapologetically KK. Hi, good morning, KK. Hi, thank you so much for talking to me today. And I'm so interested in, in understanding and learning more about what it is that you do. So tell us something about Flow to Thrive. Mm, so Flow to Thrive is a consulting firm, in mm. essence. Uh, we're working with companies mm-hmm. uh, and individuals to help them feel, be and perform at their best in in the digitalized, increasingly digitalized world of work, which is continuously changing. Mm-hmm. And um, we're a partner for them and for the leaders who are prepared to really challenge the way we work and the way we live today. Right. So we want to work with companies and leaders who really challenge the conventional norms around work uh, and lifestyle. So we, we hear this term digital future of work a lot these days. And what does that really mean? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's like one of those fake news kind of new concepts that, you know, everyone's talking about. But yeah. do we really understand what that means and what that means for us as yeah. employees? Yeah. No, I think that's why I'm laughing, because I think a lot of people are trying to determine what it what it will look like. And um, I was I was joking with someone yesterday saying one of the worst sentences and statements I know these days is the future of work is already here. Right. Uh, because the future is the future. Exactly. <laughs> and so, so what is it? Well, I think fundamentally we're moving into a very, very different way of working. We, we've moved. And if we look back, mm-hmm. look back to where we came from, we, we're really moving into, we're moving from an era, you know, yonks back now, where we used our entire body mm-hmm. whilst we were working. Physical work. Physical work. Then we've moved, sort of stopped using parts of our body as we've moved through the years. Right. And we've come to a point now where, where we mostly use our brain. Mm-hmm. And I think the digitalized world, we will even, and, and even now, we've already started to actually use our brains less. Right. Which has two really, really important implications from from health perspective, both for our brains and our bodies, is we're moving less, mm-hmm. which means that our bodies and waistlines tend to grow. Yeah. And we're becoming <laughs> increasingly unhealthy from a physical perspective. But what we, we're primarily concerned about from a work perspective, and they're both connected, so you can't disconnect them, but that's the brain and the performance of the brain. And with using it less and with technology coming in more and more, our brains will shrink because it's they, the brain is a bit like a muscle and it will grow as exactly. we Exactly, right. So, so that for us is the big part is how do we, in a world that's moving from productivity and operational efficiency mm-hmm. um, into a world where innovation and continuous change and continuous learning uh, is becoming increasingly important and where digital is, is increasingly taking over in or being part of what we do and how we deliver in organizations, the, the fundamentals around how we use our brain at work mm-hmm. is becoming more and more important. And that's what we, we focus on. I know I had Dr. Shafali on a couple of weeks ago. Yes. What she, she tends to say, it's this plus this plus this plus this that equals where we are today. And that, what you're seeing and feeling today. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the important part now is looking at the future and therefore what we're doing today and tomorrow and the day after tomorrow mm-hmm. and how we're taking the, our existing habits 
into to the future. Right. So if you look at some of the data and forecasts for 2050, researchers are forecasting about 600% increase in dementia. Wow, that's, and that's, that's huge. a huge number. 600%. Yeah. And that's huge. That is huge. And that and what that is is them looking at the habits we have today. Yeah. And, and what the implications of that as we grow. So you know, yeah. if you're in your 30, 35, 40 bracket, yeah. that's you. you yes. Know? Yes. And that's a huge huge number which fundamentally and we which as human beings we're struggling I think mm-hmm. to to look that far ahead, but we have to. We have, we have to understand yeah. that risk implications. You can't uh, fix something you know, once it's broken and then try come up with a solution, yeah. it's just too late. There are certain industries where stress, for example, and, and you know, very short deadlines and, and the kind of, I wouldn't say negative, but a stressful environment is just part of what everyone believes, you know, yeah. you need to have as a skill more than anything yeah. else. You should be able to work under pressure is something that people tell you when, for example, you go into an industry which has deadlines all the time. Let's yeah. talk about journalism. Let's talk about, you know, fashion. Let's talk about so many other industries where it's part of the job that you have to work well under pressure. You know, you're going to have unrealistic deadlines. So are you... Is the, is the organization causing that and then putting the individual under pressure that they are unable to handle? And so there are so many more instances in those particular industries. Because one of the things that I have here is that there are certain work-related stresses and they, they can be things like organizational culture. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do not have a culture of respect, uh, things like job content and demands, even things like physical work environment where you just do not have... Uh, a, a workspace mm-hmm. where the individual, yeah. you know, can, it's, it's noisy, there's no light, there's, in, it's just wrong for you to be able to, to work effectively. Change in management or lack of support, role conflicts where, you know, you don't know you're asked to do so many different things. There's no specific role. One day you're doing something, but then you're expected to pick something else up uh, if a colleague is, is not at work. So there are certain things that the organization is causing and again the organization is run by individuals yeah. so it's 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 a bit of a mess so when you come in mm. where do you start so well we have a very structured way of approaching it of course of looking at uh, at an organization holistically so we look at what we call place of work way of working and way of living mm-hmm. um, so it's around the environment you're in it's the culture that you're operating within which both the organization and the individual play a huge part in. And then the way that you live, which from an individual perspective, right. you you as an individual have a huge responsibility. So, so we've developed that for the reason that you hinted at, I think, earlier, is we're all responsible. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very easy to blame someone else or, or an organization for what the, what you're experiencing in the environment you're in. But we all play a role in that and we can all do. And I think in the end, if we look at it from a health perspective, you as an individual, you're in charge of your own health and you're in charge of your own performance. Mm-hmm. And, and there are things in the environment will, which will influence that. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, you've hinted at a lot of them um, it, just now around what's, what's causing stress, um, and I think, again, it depends, it varies from organization to organization, but there are a number of things that really, really come out everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and number one, you talked about the pressure 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, that stems from an almost, I would say, obsession mm-hmm. uh, that we've got around time and effort and reducing time and reducing effort and speeding up everything that yeah. we do and that's back to the quest for productivity and operational efficiency that's i think that comes from which which is causing very often and i think the the key with this is and, and that's where you see the difference between individuals in how they might receive the same thing is the perception around control and mm-hmm. how we can control that pressure that expectation and if it's non-controllable or perceived to be without your or outside of your control, mm-hmm. then it tends to become stressful. Right. But if 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 you feel that you can control it, then typically you don't experience the same thing as stressful. And mm-hmm. again, those boundaries, and that's typically a person's perception of time. And this comes into theory around peak performance, but it's it's really around the perception of time and how that pressure is being put onto that. Mm-hmm. That tends to be the main difference in how someone reacts to stress small and i don't like to say good and bad stress i get a lot of those questions what there's good and there's bad stress i don't think there is i tend to like i tend to i prefer to call that little bit of stress energy right and a drive so yeah and and all of us need that at mm-hmm. different points during the day and different times during a week absolutely it, and, and it gives us that little bit of an adrenaline rush that narrows down your focus that really makes you narrow in on one particular it might be presentation it might be something else right something that really gives you that focus but if that pressure continues yes and unrealistically prolongs, and prolongs yeah that's when it turns into cortisol and to to negative and and to really start building up in in your body and i tend to where i tend to compare it to a corporate credit card and add to what's called the allostatic load if you keep on using a credit card and not paying it off you just accumulate debt yeah and the same thing happens in your body mm-hmm. and in the same way as the credit card at some point will stop working yeah you know, same thing will happen to you but you don't know when that's going to happen yeah absolutely. but that's the pressure you have literally yeah. that that you're adding with with continuously adding stress pushing or yourself experiencing stress yeah uh, and negatively yes so there are physical psychological behavioral symptoms yeah. that come out of of being in this kind of a work yeah. environment yeah. um and and some of the physical symptoms are that that I have here are like fatigue uh heart palpitations insomnia gastrointestinal issues which seem to be a big thing now your gut is not you know good you're not eating well you're obviously eating at the wrong time wrong things because you're constantly on the go um psychologically we have the usual depression anxiety irritability and pessimism mm-hmm. um and that's one of the things that you're saying that you look at everything from a negative perspective because that's how you're feeling constantly pushed and not appreciated or there could be so many different factors and then from a behavioral point of view you have diminished creativity mm-hmm. you can't work to your full potential if you're in this kind of an environment completely all the time mm-hmm. and and you know that's 8 9 hours of your day mm-hmm. so what are you able to do as mm-hmm. a first step a very important point that you just mentioned which i think is incredibly interesting and a lot of people don't think about from a stress perspective and cognitively and i'll, I'll answer your question is that stress actually it's a bit like a light switch if you mm-hmm. look at a scanned brain of a not stressed and a stressed brain 
it's like a lamp being switched on, right. switched off. Right. And that's the important part in all of this that not only, so I just want to add some of that, not sure. only are we actually adding that pressure for the future, but you're having an immediate now impact now, yes. which leads me into to, to your question, is that there are a lot of things that we can do individually also to physiologically change how we're feeling uh, and experiencing stress and therefore how we perform today mm-hmm. and how we're feeling today and the reduced risk of actually getting sick as we go. And it's the things that we are aware of, mm-hmm. but very frankly, a lot of us don't care about. Yeah, so we're aware, but we absolutely. don't care. Because you always and, have the excuse with work, that yeah. work is doing this yeah. to me. And then you have that thing that I have to work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's, and we, again, we have a model around it, but it's, how do you eat? Mm. How do you sleep? And mm. sleep is huge, huge. And I, I just don't, people take it. It's growing and, and we hear more and more about it, but I, I, I still think people do not fundamentally understand the importance of sleep. And, and you can feel the immediate impact mm-hmm. of that when you wake up. But again, the longer term risks of not sleeping, um, so eating, sleeping, exercising, recharge and recovery. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, an athlete would never train every day for 365 days a year. Right. Yeah. As, as corporate animals, mm-hmm. we, uh, we run what I call brain athlons for our yeah. entire careers Absolutely. And, and, and lives. We don't stop. And again, that's one of the things we see in our, in our diagnostic tool that we have is people don't take breaks. They don't switch off then they come home. They actually don't even take their holidays. Yes. And so it's the normal rest periods we're not giving our, our brains. And and even and constant we're never stopping. And we you know, it's you take a break, you check your phone. It's the cognitive overload that that's creating and exhausting. So for me, we talk a lot about exercise, and particularly here with some of the weight challenges that we, we have in the region. Right. Um but I fundamentally believe that, for, and again, looking back to the 600% around dementia, what mm-hmm. we really should be focusing in on much, much more is to do less. Yes. Recover and recharge more and sleep more. But is there a fear? Because I feel like when you're especially in a high power job, yeah. there's this thing that people I hear people saying all the time. And, you know, I, I joke uh, with some of my friends as mm. well about it, um, that no, I can't, I can't take some time off. You know, I've got too much work to do. And I always say, you know, even the president of the United States can take time off, you know, and he has his finger on a nuclear weapon. So don't tell me you can't take time off. I mean, what is this fear that drives us to think that the work will not go on without us? Or is this work FOMO that you have a fear that someone else will come in and do something better than you? I, I think it's a combination. I think it's a... It's just simply poor habits that we've developed over time and created a norm that we should always be available. We always have to. And, and that's created, I think, a perception that we're indispensable. Yeah. And, and I, so we ran a couple of sessions a while back with one of the big fours. And, and I was joking with them because we'd taken all the mobile phones away from them. They had to mm-hmm. put them in little black pockets, yeah. and which caused very interesting reactions with some individuals. And, uh, and I was joking with them and saying, look, how many of you have a client who will die if you don't answer yeah. their, 
the the emails that you're now urging to respond to and, right and you know the reactions tends to be oh god i haven't thought about that or almost a, a bit of a nervous reaction and feeling of whoa well, well and also a realization that actually i'm I might think I'm important, but I'm not that important. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and we, so I think, again, we like to blame our organizations very often and employers, but very often a lot of this is driven by ourselves. And, and partially, now I'm getting into very different territory, but it's, you know, I think mobile phones and technology and the addiction we have to technology. So one part is, is the, the FOMO. Yes, absolutely. You know, and, and a feeling of being, yeah, potentially replaced if we're not there, if we're not paying yeah, attention. Someone else will do a better job and, than and us. And we know that's, you know, very rarely going to happen. But also I think it's fundamental addiction to our phones, yes. which has come at us as a society, as an avalanche. And no one, not even people in the decision-making positions have actually been been able to forecast to see that. And I think it's only now that we're recognizing the potential implications of that. So I think there are so many multiple variables into what the question you were just asking. But for me, technology is a huge part and addiction to technology is huge. I agree. I uh, started to switch my phone off Mm. at six o'clock in the evening. I just wouldn't take any work calls after that. And obviously people would get upset and annoyed. And I was like, I'm at work. I'm dedicating a big part of my day to work. It's easy for you to call me, but I'm not accessible, let's say at 10 o'clock at night because you have a question. Mm. And initially uh, you, you do face a lot of, you know, backlash for that. But eventually what I saw happened was that people would respect that, mm-hmm. call me during the day. Yeah. And some of them would actually say, we know you're not going to pick up your phone after 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. They got used to the fact to say that I know if I have to reach this person and it's work-related, I can do it within these hours. So you don't just leave it to say, oh, this person is available mm-hmm. to me at any time that I choose to pick up my phone and, and yeah. ask a question. Yeah. And I think that that there is a fear in doing that, uh, mm-hmm. in, in saying I am a minority in doing that. So what if I lose my job? Yeah. What if, you know, I lose an order? What if I lose my clients? Mm. Because that's what society and the workplace has become. Because like you're saying with technology, it is available 24-7. And yeah. in a way, it's a bit non-invasive. So people send you a WhatsApp message or mm. an email and they wait to see if you're going to respond, mm. you know? And if you do, well you're available. You've mm-hmm. made yourself yeah. available to yeah. them to say, oh, it's just a message. Yeah. I'm just going to, you know, so mm-hmm. to keep them happy, to make yourself mm-hmm. feel you're not doing so much. But eventually yeah. that gets overwhelmed where you're literally being called at any time of the day. Yeah. And then now you've got into this habit of responding any time of the day. Yeah. And I think this is back to your, your question a while back now is what can we do? Mm-hmm. And Because I think we tend to be, you end up in a, in a very negative spiral. So you check your phone late at night, that will trigger thoughts in your brain. The blue light will admit, so it will reduce your melatonin production, which will move your body clock in terms of your body's ability to actually tell you when to go to, to sleep. Yeah. So it will impact your Switch sleep. Switch off, yeah. And then you, next morning, you're not, you've not slept well. Then you're going to have some, you know, a couple of coffees and something sugary and, and you're into... It's a negative into chain reaction. And, and, and I think we just don't, we don't stop and reflect and listen to ourselves. And very, very often, the answers are very, very simple if we just listen to to what our bodies are telling us. And we take a little bit of time to do that. And then to your point around technology, 
also dare to try a couple of different things. So the amount of times I hear people say, I can't go, to, I don't have time to go to the gym. And I'm like, ever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't you even have time to just try on a Monday or a Tuesday morning? Yeah. Once and see what happens. And the same thing with work. People say, I don't, you know, I have so much to do. I, I, I can't leave work at six o'clock or five o'clock and actually have, have a good afternoon and, and then go have a good night's sleep and come yeah. to work refreshed. Instead, I'm plowing through the night with a diminished, you know, brain capacity and trying to churn things through. And they don't dare to even try for once to just go home. Because it's and, a and fear. It's a fear. I, I worked for an organization where we used to work till from seven to, to three. Yeah. Um, but if you were at a certain level yeah. in the organization. Yeah. If you left at three, it means that you weren't important and you didn't have enough work. So you should be afraid of losing your job. Mm-hmm. So even if we didn't have work, we had to stay till 530, yeah. you know, because we were in that position to say mm-hmm. as management, how can you leave? I mean, how have you finished working at three o'clock? So, I mean, and, and you see this a lot. And I, I, frankly, I think it's absolutely pathetic. And it's really, really sad. Isn't it though? It's, no, no, no. I, I mean, I've got very strong opinion on it. It's, we're human beings. Why on earth would we sit in an office? And stare no. at nothing. <laughs> you know, I think that's just absolutely pretend. pathetic. Pretend. That's, that's back to, I mean, we call, we've started to call them the brave ones. The leaders that we see. And, and frankly, there aren't that many of them yet out there who fundamentally dare to break some of these patterns that we've created out of just bad, a number of bad habits that come together mm-hmm. and, and they've now become the norm, but it's breaking that norm that's making us not productive at work and unwell mm-hmm. physically and mentally. So, so why should we do it? So you've got to break that pattern because it's, I mean, it's abuse of human energy and yes, capacity. Absolutely. Like, you know, frankly. Absolutely. And the other thing that is my pet peeve is people asking for meetings. Yeah. If you can have a quick conversation on the phone, I mean, why would you want to have a meeting where you call people in, they have to drive to you, yeah. they have to sit there, yeah. you know, you can't have, you can have a 10 minute conversation, but you can't have a 10 minute meeting unless it's in an office between colleagues and you just sit there and you've wasted two or three hours of your day going through this meeting when all of you could have gotten onto a conference call and and that's it yeah and maybe only half of them actually needed in the meeting exactly (laughs) exactly no but it's mine and so i mean now we're moving into the organization so individually you know it's daring to actually try things out and change and actually not try to cause a revolution, but actually an evolution in what you do. Try to eat something differently one week. If it works, then fine. Continue that. Mm-hmm. Try to exercise maybe twice a week instead of nothing. Try to take those breaks mm-hmm. you know, during the, you know, whatever it is, we call it nudge stacking. Stack the small things. Don't revolutionize, try to revolutionize your life in, in a week. Yeah. Do it over a year. Yeah. And I think the same thing in organizations, but that's where you need the brave leaders, the leader who exactly. says... Exactly. It's top down though. I, yeah, yeah, I think it's both, but it's primarily when it comes to the organization, you need to start up there. And it's for, for the leaders to say, actually, it's expected to leave at three o'clock if, you, if, you, if that's when you're done. You know? mm-hmm. it's, it's not at five... So the leaders really need to be part of that and be brave enough also to try because it might be in some, now just taking your example, but there are others where maybe boundaries of time are not as strict. Mm-hmm. 
And, and it's about just being brave to leave at a certain point for a couple of days a week and just see what happens and switch off your email and not read the emails at night and just pick them up mm-hmm. the following day. I mean, I, again, it's, it's one of the consulting firms um, got a beautiful uh, tagline at the bottom, which says, just because I sent this email now doesn't mean that I expect you to respond now. Absolutely. And, and because there's a time on. difference as yeah. well. When you're working yeah. internationally, yeah. people are sending it yeah. to you at their time zone yeah. and you're responding in the middle of the night, which you know, is it's, it's counterproductive. Yeah. But I think it's, it's back to, again, it's making small changes. And I think there are organizationally, you raised a number of things earlier, but I think there are three things primarily mm-hmm. that's making us work much more than we need. Right. Number one is how we have become very good at interrupting each other in mm-hmm. the environment we're in. So in the open space environments, we get interrupted and disrupted very, very frequently. We're also very, very good at interrupting ourselves. And that's back to the technology. I don't know if you've got the ticker on your phone and you see how many times you pick up your phone. Again, that's your own habit, but it's impacting organizationally everyone. Right. And, and thirdly, multitasking, which again, <laughs> recruitment and everyone has used for the last 20 or so years as a key criteria, you must be able to multitask. It's the most, it's the worst habit we've ever created. Wow. <laughs> it's our brains can't multitask. So again, it's like a light switch. You're switching it on, off, on, off, on, off. And right. the energy that that's consuming and how that's breaking up what we're doing mm-hmm. in terms of ability to focus, flow, you know, creativity, anything, it's, it's, it's huge. So it's as an organization understanding how you can change some of those habits and what's causing the interruptions and ourselves to interrupt and fundamentally much like that will have huge impact on our own productivity mm-hmm. and indeed how we're feeling. So in your experience, who do you go to for help if you are facing these problems within the workplace as an individual and where does an organization start with so when you go to an organization who is there somebody who is specifically responsible for mental health for looking at employ where how well your employees are functioning i think it really really varies and it's is a very evolving area within organizations today so i think we've all I shouldn't say we've always had, but historically we've had occupational health mm-hmm. and occupational health and safety, particularly here in the region with, with oil companies and what have you in the energy. Yeah. But that's incredibly important for them. So that's been there for a long time. I think the difference now is we're moving into an area where we're looking at mental health, absolutely. Um, and that's rare here. Mm-hmm. Very rarely covered, I would say, in an organization properly. We don't really talk about it still. Not at all. You know, it's a, still a little bit like, ooh, do I dare to... And you're yeah. a bit of a kind of non-player. You're you're not strong enough. Yeah. If you're complaining, you know, if you're talking about yeah. issues. And um, which part of the world has this taken off or is, is better handled? From a mental health perspective, I think the UK at the moment is going through a massive, massive boom talking about mental... It's almost gone in, in an extreme direction, which is sometimes needs to do to raise a topic into the level you need to. And then it sort of calms down and it becomes, mm-hmm. it goes into a normal level, if you like. Um, but I think here, coming back to, to, to here in the region, uh, mental health, number one, I don't think is talked about enough. Right. It's a, I would say, a huge issue that we're not addressing. Ta- addressing. Yeah. And 
And the numbers and statistics are very, very difficult to get hold of. But again, mm-hmm. in our diagnostic, when we look at it, the numbers are around 40% of, of, of an entire employee population who has feelings of anxiety, sadness, Wow. Uh, in, the, in their bodies and who report that they are feeling unwell mentally. And that's a huge number. Even if you vary it up and down 10 percentage points, the numbers wow. are you know, still enormous. And there is very little and very few organizations who have anyone mm-hmm. or any form of safety, I shouldn't say safety, support network uh, around that. Yeah. So I think very often you see them back to job insecurity. Mm-hmm. It's which is a big thing here. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think just the way we exist and work here mm-hmm. creates a very different level of insecurity and if you don't then have the support the issue and how you're feeling will just multiply. Right. And and that in itself, I think, can sometimes cause what I've seen in organizations, very, very strange behaviors right. and, and create very fragile relationships between individuals because, right. because you just start to behave very differently. Very strangely. Strange. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's really sad. So I think, you know, again, we focus a lot on happiness. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, we need to look at the full spectrum and say, actually, you know, there's a huge group here which we need to, and, and there are big, big issues and items to address towards causing some of the mental health issues yeah. that we need to address as an organization. And again, that comes back to the brave leaders and are there enough brave yes. leaders around to, yes. to, to fundamentally turn it around? Yeah, because one of the things that I was reading was an article by Forbes, in, and this was done in 2016, uh, and they were tracking the annual cost of uh, lost productivity due yep. to absenteeism. Yep. So what they said caused absenteeism in the workplace mm. was things like bullying and you know not being appreciated and, and having a very negative work yep. environment um, and, and not being able to handle it. And, and the cost of that they came up with was $84 billion annually. Mm-hmm. Uh, which and the highest uh, category there were the professionals mm-hmm. uh, who were causing, who were being underproductive mm-hmm. by being absent from work. Yeah. What kind uh, do you see that here as well? That that's something that happens here. Like, what would how would an individual react if they were going through this? Because you're saying forty percent of the workforce mm-hmm. is feeling yeah. the pressure of the job. Yeah. Uh, is feeling something negative. Yeah. Um, and going through some negative emotions psychologically because of the workplace specifically. Yeah. So what kind of, of symptoms are you seeing here? Well, I think the most important thing in that is that the cost of absenteeism is just a fraction of the cost of even before that happens. Mm-hmm. So the cost of presenteeism is much, much higher. Right. And that's what I Paying call- someone for being underproductive or who's not able to function at yeah. full yeah. capacity. Yeah. It's someone who's in the office. Yeah, and, like I was for two hours. <laughs> and, and, and just simply not being productive. Yeah. Um, and the cost of that is much bigger. You know, again, different studies showing different things, but it, I've got studies showing up to 25% of payroll. You know, that's a huge number. Right. Um, that has an impact on bottom line. Mm-hmm. Immediate impact in a way. But at the same time, and this is the challenge we have, is as an organization, do you care even if you are aware, because what happens is, even if you're unproductive, and this is a challenge with our brains that we 
we don't see inside <laughs> the cogs that are moving around right is if someone sits in the office for eight hours mm-hmm. for 16 hours does the leadership team care right do they fundamentally care and that 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 is the thing so they will still get the same amount out of an individual but at the cost of that individual's health risk and then spending a lot of time in the office instead of being at home with friends family enjoy you know so again it's a spiral yeah so as an individual we've talked about you you're saying that as an as an organization we need to have these thought leaders who can bring this change yeah. within the organization and obviously organization culture is about people mm-hmm. it's about how you wish to run your organization yeah. and i guess that fundamentally comes from how you run your own life so if you are a person who values sleep and values eating yeah. right and values exercise yeah. and family time and holidays yeah. obviously but you are going to as as the head of that organization if you take that time off you will have no problem with your staff taking that time off yeah. uh, on the other hand there are people who take the time off but don't want their staff taking that time off as well mm-hmm. so obviously that's where yeah. the leadership comes in that yeah. you need to be that progressive to start looking at the symptoms and problems that you're having mm-hmm. outside of just work statistics and performance reports and things like that but as an individual if you are in this situation what can you do i know you you're talking about the simple steps but the fear is there the fear is 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 real it's what stops us because i know when i speak to people who do work from 7am to to and come home by 7:30 8pm they mm-hmm. basically lost time with their children because the children mm-hmm. have to go to bed mm-hmm. you know so they have maybe like 15 20 minutes with their kids on on the weekdays um there's a guilt factor that's involved obviously to say i'm not spending enough time mm-hmm. with my children but yeah. then i'm not able to do anything and then when you talk to them the first thing they say you won't understand mm-hmm. you don't know what it's like mm. so as an individual what can you do what can you do <laughs> <laughs> i mean the small steps yeah. that that you can incorporate without rocking the boat too much yeah. you know because as i said the fear is not going to go away no, no. it's it's when you have a major problem like i know that there are there are times when someone's told me oh my god this my colleague just collapsed in the office yeah. and had to be rushed you know by ambulance yeah. and they had a, a silent heart attack or mm. a mini stroke or or they just fainted and they yeah. found out that they had another problem i mean for i guess five minutes it scares them and saying they say i'm not going to do this to myself yeah. but then you go back into your pattern so how can people kind of break that pattern slowly because something big has happened for them to at least realize that they are in a very negative pattern yeah and i think the interesting point you just made is and what we see is fundamentally the people who are the ones who have ended up in hospital they are the ones who are again brave enough typically afterwards because they yeah they just you know fundamentally you change after something like that and, and sadly enough and that's what we're trying to change so the question is brilliant it's you know how can we avoid getting to that point exactly so that we, we don't, don't have to get to that point but what happens what's what's interesting is then is that individual who typically then hopefully survives and comes back out of hospital they are then brave enough because the urge is strong enough to fundamentally challenge the environment they're in Mm-hmm. right and make a lot of changes a vast majority yeah do, tend to do that that's what i what we see and i think so one is start looking at the thing i mean this is, sounds incredibly simple but i i know that's difficult sometimes in reality but it's about you know sometimes and again you don't do it five days a week get up at six o'clock once a week 
Yeah. An exercise, you know. Yeah. So you get one sin. You know, start with don't it's again, it's not a revolution. Allow it to be an evolution. Find the little things. You know, again, we tend to sit down and eat our lunch mm-hmm. in front of the computer. Go outside, go for a walk, and actually do one of your meetings as a walking meeting. So it's about shifting how you do. So, you know, talking about multitasking, instead of swip- swatch- swapping <laughs> between different activities in front of your computer, you know, you're actually multitasking by walking and talking, for, as, as an example. Yeah. And, and you do that, and then you go and have lunch. And so and you actually take a break. So it's, it's the small things and, and that I think makes the big difference. Yeah. So, so that's why if all of these things sounds really, really dead simple, but in theory they're difficult, but I think they're difficult for two reasons. One is because we're making, we're trying always try to make too much at the same time or in a short time period. And I also sometimes think it's not the organization putting the barrier on the changes. It's actually ourselves mentally who are mm-hmm. putting those barriers in. You know, I take an example of someone who I know really, really well, who has an incredibly stressful job. He is a partner in one of the big consulting firms. Mm-hmm. And um, very, very simple. He meditates in his car after dropping his kids off at school. Right. Every day. Yeah. And for, that's what for works for him. That yeah. works for him. Yeah. And that's 10 minutes. And that's that's fundamentally changed, you know, how he starts his day. Mm-hmm. And it's 10 minutes. You know, no one can say, so you took the president of the US earlier, is, you know, everyone has, has that time. Yeah. And it's finding the triggers for you. Yeah. That does that. You know, for me, it's the same thing, but I do that at night. For me, it's the yoga and meditation for 20 to 30 minutes before mm. I go to bed, which just fundamentally changes how I sleep. Yeah. How I sleep. That's what I've read. I'm, I'm sure that has a good impact on, on most people, but it's, it's a habit that really works for me. That makes me feel great at night. I will sleep well, which again will make me wake up refreshed and ready yeah. for the next day. So it's, it's finding the little things that matters to you. And I think just fundamentally looking at whether it's an organizational barrier or whether you've actually imposed that barrier onto yourself mentally. Yeah. I totally agree. Find the thing that de-stresses you and then do that, you know, and it doesn't have to be taking a long vacation or doing, you know, taking yourself away from the job for a long period of time. It's just the little things that make and the ones that you do regularly that make the big difference. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Linda, for talking to me today. I, I think... You know, this is definitely something that we need to talk more about. As I said, mental health is an issue that we are facing in today's world. And it's not something that's going to go away unless we deal with it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You know what they say. Stress is the silent killer. Take it seriously. Go get help that you need. It all starts with you. You are the only person who can make your life better. This is Kanchan Kulkarni saying goodbye for now and speak to you again soon.